What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Michael Like Stuff podcast. Michael here. Thank you for joining us. I know that if you're an avid follower of our podcast, you probably were thinking that we would have an episode last week, and we were planning to, uh, but unfortunately, there was a thunderstorm that hit Nashville, and uh, I actually lost power at my house for about three days. And in this era, when you lose power at your house, you're still supposed to not go a ton of places. Um, so I didn't have a ton of options and ended up uh, not being able to watch the show, The Last Dance, until this past Wednesday. So um, luckily it came back on Wednesday, though, so I was able to watch The Last Dance and a two-hour Survivor episode all in one day. The Survivor finale is this week, and I'm really, really, really excited about that. Um, who am I rooting for? Michelle. Who do I think is going to win? Tony. Um, Tony is the odds-on favorite at this point. Um, but I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm excited to see who's coming back from the Edge of Extinction, although I still am not a big fan of Edge of Extinction. But I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for whoever comes back because I, I do actually like the characters on Edge of Extinction this season. Um, so that aside, uh, I got to sit down tonight with uh, Chase and Tanner, and we talked um, The Last Dance. We mainly talked about the two episodes that aired tonight, uh, but we also touched on the two that aired last week since we weren't able to get on a podcast last week. Um, once again, I hope that you're doing well. I know these are strange, strange times, um, but if this provides you some relief uh, during this time. I hope that that's good. And uh, I really, really appreciate you listening to my podcast. It means a lot to me. So thank you so much uh, for tuning in today. Uh, you know, it would mean a whole, whole lot if you followed us on Twitter at Michael Likes Pod um, or you uh, gave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be epic. Um, not that I say epic all the time, but anyways, you get it. Um, I really, really am so glad that you're here, and I love you, and I would love uh, to connect with you um, if you want to slide in my DMs on Twitter. Um, So all that said, I really, really think you're going to enjoy my podcast with Chase and Tanner, and I've also said really, really a whole lot of times. So I really, really appreciate you sticking with me thus far. Um, Anyways, I love you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Bye. All right, everybody. I am back here with Chase Whiting and Tanner Allen after tonight's episode of episodes of The Last Dance. And I was going to have them on last week, but my power was out for three days. And so I did get to get to catch last week's episodes on Wednesday and then recaught them tonight. So I am caught up and I'm glad to have Chase and Tanner back on the podcast. Uh, Ben is in Atlanta and has crappy internet and all that. So anyways, Chase, Tanner, what's up? Michael, it's a true pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to talk about all things Kobe Bryant and the Lakers in this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Excited to be back, Michael. Um, By far your greatest episode ever is when you had us on last time and we're happy to uh, run it back, go for the repeat and then hopefully a three-peat next week. 
It's pretty sweet that we did cut out the weak link of this podcast. So now we're, we're trimming the hedges. We're, we're uh, refining <laughs> ourselves and getting into the good stuff. Uh, hopefully an episode with a lot fewer uh, president facts. Yeah, definitely not the weak link when it comes to uh, obscure uh, historical trivia. But uh, Ben, if you're listening, <coughs> we love you, man. And I hope, hope you recover from your surgery. And we'll get you back. We'll get you back soon. Hope you're rehabbing at home. Mm. Um, so um, let's let's just touch briefly on last week's episodes because we didn't get to talk about them. Um, it started off with the Kobe bit. Uh, Chase, uh, known Kobe fan. Um, Chase, any thoughts on the Kobe stuff? I don't know how you guys felt. It was. Uh it was surreal to watch, and I was very glad that I had a heads up that it was coming. Um, I had seen some stuff on the interweb saying that Kobe was going to be on it and that they had actually gotten an interview with him. Uh, but if you remember back to the first episode of the the Michael Breaks Down the MJ Doc podcast that we were on, someone asked the question, who's the celebrity that you wish was on this? And I said, Kobe. Uh, and I forget who, but one of you said they. There's a chance they got an interview with him just based on the timeline of everything. Um, so I was glad I had a heads up because when he popped up, it was, it was surreal, um, and it was it was kind of hard to watch. And there are some other people in this doc who they have footage of who have since passed away, like David Stern. Um, but there was something different about it with Kobe for me. I don't know how you guys felt, um, but the the. The coolest part for me, the part that I didn't expect was hearing Kobe talk about Michael towards the end of that interview segment that they had, where they were saying when people come up to him and say, man, Kobe, you're such a great player. We love you so much. Um, and some of his comments about saying if if uh, if there, there would be no Kobe if there was no Michael, or I stole all my stuff from him. So when you're telling me you like that move, you're really telling Michael that you like his move. Um, that was wild because I uh, so many of us compare him to MJ but to hear him actually confess to some of that and to say, yeah, that was real. I, I, I did steal all of that stuff from him in such a public setting that he knew was going to be um, on an ESPN 10-part documentary that everyone was going to be watching was really cool. It felt like a different side of Kobe than I was at least used to seeing. Um, that's how I felt about it. How did you guys feel about it? Uh, yeah, similar to you, I was kind of I was excited for it. Uh, a little sad that there wasn't more of it. But at the same time, like getting to kind of hear how much Kobe looked up to Jordan, which had almost been like a secret. Jordan mentioned that a little bit at Kobe's uh, funeral uh, mm -hmm. not too long ago. And that was kind of a shock there of, wow, Jordan's coming out, kind of announcing this secret to the world. It was nice to hear that Kobe was basically going to announce that secret in this documentary if Jordan didn't at Kobe's funeral. I thought it was super cool the way that uh, all the guys in the locker room, in the East locker room before, were talking about Kobe. Yeah, that was sweet. That was some really awesome footage. Like, it's just stuff like that where it's, like, the best players in the NBA just, like, uh, you know, shooting the shoot or whatever in the, in the locker rooms. That's some of my favorite stuff in this documentary. And it was awesome to see them talking about Kobe and the way that Jordan talked about him, like how he he wasn't gonna just let the ball come, let the game come to him. He was gonna force things, and it and like he wasn't talking about that in like a way that was derogatory. What did they keep calling him? Did they keep calling him that that little Laker boy or whatever? That little Lakers boy? 
<laughs> yeah, I, like he, they were calling him like that, that rook, all kind of stuff. It was awesome. I, yeah, I loved how MJ, like with a knowing smile, kept talking about how Kobe just wanted to take everyone one on one. It's like, yeah, that, that's what I do. And I kind of love that this this little Laker boy is trying to do that also. It was awesome. I loved it. It was it was really, really cool to watch. All right. Another cool thing in last week's episodes was uh, the Air Jordan stuff. And what I didn't know was that Nike was, like, not number one mm-hmm. before Jordan. Like, he kind of made Nike what it is, which yeah, is... they called it a startup company. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And he, um, he didn't want Nike. He wanted Adidas. And, I mean, imagine where the whole sneaker game, how that is right now, if Jordan signs with Adidas... Nike's not what it is. Adidas is by far the number one company in the world. I thought it was great how basically Jordan, as a rookie, signed with Nike. It was his dad saying, "You're good. they're giving you the best money. You have to take this deal. And the whole point of the deal was he had to get his own shoe, which that was kind of unique at the time also. Now everyone kind of gets a shoe. We're already talking about what shoe Zion's going to produce and so on for all these rookies. But Jordan was the first rookie to get a shoe deal. MJ's mom came out a big winner from last week's podcast. And the, the biggest one might have been her forcing MJ to go get on the plane to go to the Nike meeting. <laughs> she was a big winner. But, yeah, that, that is kind of crazy to think about. And I would have loved to have lived through that in real time or at least been aware of it. Because I was thinking tonight as we were watching the episodes when he's wearing the 10s, when he's back uh, also wearing the number 45, I wonder if the shoes were as big of a deal in the moment as they were – or as they are to us now. And it, it sounds like from uh, whatever episode that was, I guess five and six, um, that it became that, uh, that, that it was, it was neat listening to people say that no one ever wore sneakers until Jordan's shoes came out. And now everyone started wearing sneakers. Um, that would have been cool to live through kind of that revolution and watching all of that change. Cause that's just normal to us. Now I wear sneakers every day to work. Uh, but if that wasn't the norm and there was this random North Carolina rookie who put on these shoes that sold however many more than they were expecting, that would have been a cool thing to live through. Yeah, I just like I was amazed um, just at how like only like they only branded uh, shoes like that for like tennis players and stuff yeah. like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson didn't have their own shoes like they were all like with Converse but they didn't have like their own signature shoe, which is just a great, a great piece of work by Nike. Um, yeah, some shrewd business for sure. <laughs> one of my favorite things of this documentary is like looking at stuff and like if that one thing was different, like we're talking about a whole different like culture that we live in now. Like it's, it's really bizarre. So do you guys own any Jordans? I'm curious. I own one pair. One pair. Do you know off the top of your head what they are? Uh, they're Air Jordan 1 high straps. Sick. Oh, yeah. I remember you getting those. You got them at like a Nike outlet, right? Yeah. Nice. Michael, do you own any? I do not. I do not own any Jordans. I own one pair. I have a, a pair of re-release Jordan 9s in the Dream Team Olympic colors. It's basically his Dream Team shoe. And I've only ever worn them once. And it was to like a Theta Psi closed rush or something like that. <laughs> because I've been too scared to mess them up. 
but at the same time, like I, I love the, the sneaker culture and I love Jordans and all that, but when I put them on my feet, I feel like I look so out of place wearing Jordans and I don't know why, I don't know what that is. Um, but it is, it is interesting that I think there are a decent amount of people like me who really like them, really like the look of them. But then when they put them on themselves, they go, eh, this isn't my style, but yet there's people like me who still own them and still will buy them and still want to have them. And I think it speaks to how big of a cultural thing Jordans have become. I did have a pair of shacks growing up. Were they the and one shacks? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I had a pair of, uh, AIs. That were pretty cool. sick. I always um, wanted the the Allen Iverson. Like he had the individual finger sweatbands that you could buy at Foot Locker. Do you guys remember those? Yes. Oh yeah. I always wanted those. That's like my only Allen Iverson memory. I will say um, on two K in the neighborhood, I wear Jordans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that counts. I also have some Kobe's. Yeah. So, and I have uh, like two. Both of my arms are tatted up like sleeves so so pretty realistic yeah it's pretty like just check on me in 10 years that's all (laughs) i have to say um so another thing from last week's episode and i don't know this might be the last thing we talk about from last week's episodes but was the dream team and just like how new of a thing it was that there's nba players going to play one of my favorite things was uh, Christian Leitner just popping up in random scenes in <laughs> yep. the background um, because that was such a sham that he was on that team. Like, I, I, I wish – I want to hear, like, Jordan and all those guys talk about Christian Leitner's experience on the Dream Team just to see what's up with that. Christian Leitner is a basketball Hall of Famer. So when they say 10 of the 11 guys were are in the Hall of Fame, he is not the one that they left out. That's interesting. Well, you can call it a sham. They always invite like the number one college player from the previous year to be on the team, and he was the number one player that year. Um, he had an incredible basketball career, just didn't manifest in the NBA. But he's one of probably the top 10 Maybe even five greatest college basketball players of all time. Two. Top two college players of all time? I mean, who else do they... Oh, I lied. I'm looking at this. I'm doing my own fact-checking to see if Christian Leitner actually is in the Hall of Fame. I think he is, but I will find out. Um, He's not in the professional basketball Hall of Fame. But isn't the Hall of Fame just the basketball Hall of Fame? Yes, basketball it is. I'm going to find out. I don't know. He's not in the Lipscomb, um, the Lipscomb Hall of Fame. That's true. At the top of Allen, so I don't know if it really counts. Well, neither is Garrison Matthews, and that's the only Lipscomb player to play in the NBA. So, True, true. <laughs> All right. Um, one other thing about the Dream Team that we need to talk about is the pre- epic practice. Yes. And um, I hope that we can get something like that in the NBA playoffs this year. Um, empty gym. I want all the guys like where you can with boom mics over the court so you can hear what they're saying. You're going to hear the some, trash talk. Some cool drone footage or something. <laughs> Christian Leitner is, is not in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I lied to your audience, Michael. I apologize. Um, yeah, the practice is epic. And it was, it was kind of neat to watch 
who emerged. This is such a Bill Simmons, Ryan Rosillo thing to say, but like who was the alpha dog of, of that team and who are the people that, that, that were the people that you don't mess with. And, um, it, one of the interesting things about that was magic Johnson was so fresh off of coming back into the league. And yet he was still one of the two best players on that team. Like he was still one of the two leaders of the team, one of the two captains. Um, and that was really, really cool. For for the longest time, they didn't have the footage of that practice. And then, and then the guy who wrote the Dream Team book, I forget the author's name, um, went to the the person who filmed the practice and basically had to had to talk him into letting him see it and gave him the footage. So it has since come out into the world. Um, but those are some amazing games to watch. That would be a really, really fun uh, environment to be in. Yeah, I heard. I mean, all those guys talk about how that practice was probably the greatest basketball they've ever played. Uh, I'd always thought there was no film in the practice, so I was very surprised mm-hmm. when I did get to see that film and and thoroughly enjoyed watching that. Just kind of glimpses into what probably some of the greatest basketball players of all time has said is the greatest basketball ever played. You'd never seen any of that before? No. Oh, that's cool. NBA TV came out with a documentary specifically about that practice, like mm-hmm. a few years ago, I think, and that was the first time I had I had seen any of it. It felt a little bit like how the Theta Psi A versus Theta Psi B team oh my game was, uh, Michael, your senior year. It was I think there, they're comparable, right? Yeah, but there was no punches thrown at the Dream Team practice <laughs> that I saw. <laughs> Who was the who was the Michael Jordan and who was the Magic Johnson of that game? We don't have to answer this. <laughs> well, bef- I, to I'm get gonna- a better idea. Are you saying Michael Jordan or Magic was on the A or B team of Theta Psi? Well, Theta Psi like A Jordan, ended up winning, uh, and Michael Jordan's team ended up winning. Here's the thing: Theta Psi A ended up winning, but we didn't start keeping actual score until like we had at least played. Like half the time. I thought that was a legit game. I thought that was one of the, the real, like, officiated games that got so heated. Was that just a practice? It was a practice at Hillsborough Church of Christ. Now, this is getting... Oh, okay. Yeah. And there, it, it was, there was an actual game that got heated. I won't name names, but there were some people that were very frustrated with uh, the fouls not being called. That they decided B was accused of committing. Mm. Which team was Ben on that year? Was he on B? Uh, ben was on B. Was that the he, year we kept telling him to be James Harden and just take over? Uh, the A team was telling him to do that. The B team <laughs> that he was playing on was telling him to not. <laughs> that was our dream team. Yeah, that's just about the most niche conversation that we could have on the <laughs> <laughs> We're seeing how many I, of your audience members I we can exclude with yeah. that. I literally don't know of a more niche thing we, <laughs> event that we could talk about than that. We just talked about for like 90 seconds. Then we'll move on for you, Michael. Yeah. Um, so moving on to tonight's episodes. Um, once again, the, the timeline, I get what they're doing. I, I now fully understand what they're doing with the timeline is that they're working through the 98 season, but they're jumping back mm-hmm. all the way until they've like caught up, caught up with what they're doing. Still not a huge fan of it. It's no. not like, I, I, I wish we were getting more of the like behind the scenes 98 footage than we're getting um, because not to be like 
a jerk or anything. Like I, I, I really honestly know most of what they're talking about that happened before 98. Like I've, I've read, I've read books. I've listened to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I have a decent grasp on the timeline and the history of things. I really en- am enjoying the 98 footage. Like to jumping back to last week's episode, Michael Jordan laying on the couch in the hotel room, smoking a cigar um, or like, uh, MJ, Scotty Pippen and Ron Harper drinking beer on the training table. Uh, Miller Lite, <laughs> of course, of course they made the correct choice with that. But like, that's the kind of footage I'm really enjoying. And I feel like it's like you get five minutes of that and it's like, it's like game one against the nets. Now here's 20 minutes from yeah. 1995, but I, I understand what they're trying to do. I would, I still get confused throughout the process. Like at one point tonight, I had to run out to my car and get something. I came back and I had no idea there were, we could have been in four different NBA seasons from when I came back inside and I was wrong on the one that I was guessing we were in. I almost wish they would have done it chronologically to say, all right, the first five episodes are going to be all the pre-information you need to know. All right, now that you know all the backstories, here's the drama that goes down in the 98 season. Yeah. I would like that as well. Um, So starting at the beginning of the episode tonight, did y'all know about uh, MJ's dad getting murdered? Yes, um, but I did not know. I knew that it happened, and I knew that it was one of the events that people credit to why MJ retired um, and one of the reasons he retired so late in the summer. But I did not know some of the stuff about how he was missing for how he was classified as missing for like two weeks leading up to before they actually figured out what had happened. That was the stuff that was uh, that was new information to me. I think in my head I had always just assumed that, and and not to say that just being murdered is a is a pleasant thing or anything like that. But I, I thought that he had been murdered and the family knew about it right away, um, which is still incredibly tragic. But it, it was almost more gut wrenching to hear the story of no, not only was he, was he murdered, um, but he was also missing for like two weeks before they even figured that out. Um, that, that was new to me. And that was, um, that, that seems even more difficult to me than, than just finding out because of the unknown, the unknown causes so many questions. Um, so that, that was the part that was new to me, but I did know that the story beforehand. I had known he'd passed away, but I did, I did not even know he was murdered. I knew he'd passed away after that, uh, what was that, the 96 season? No, 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 the 93 season, sorry. Uh, but I did not know that he had been killed or missing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I totally get why he retired. And this is my thing. This is why when when people say that they would have won – eight in a row had he not I really don't I really don't think that they would have like the way that they were talking about him after the 93 season like he was literally just relieved to have won Mm -hmm. again like if if that's how you I don't know how that goes on for another year like I think he was probably dealing with an immense amount of burnout and dealing with the loss of his father and all of it like with nothing more to like, he literally had nothing to prove to anyone, and I think that's probably why he felt fine walking away from the game. Anyways, um, do you but, buy the gambling stuff at all? Like, do you the think con- that, the conspiracy theory? Yeah, are we going to get into that? Am I jumping the gun? 
No, no, please. Let's get into it. That's next on my bullet points. I'm curious what you think about that, Michael. Do you think that that we have all been given this massive cover-up and, and David Stern actually did give him a two-year suspension? Or do you think that we are being told the truth that it was burnout, it was um, the, the tra- tragedy of his dad passing away, all of that? Well, I was not aware that there even was a conspiracy theory really? about him being suspended until like I listened to Bill Simmons' podcast last week. And uh, I just don't understand how that like how that would not have come out in any credible way in yeah. the last 25 years if that was not actually true or actually yeah, if it was actually true, like it surely would have come out like you're telling me David Stern took that to his grave and denied it to to the day he died, and Michael Jordan has never come out and said, "Oh yeah, I totally would have kept playing," but like I just I just don't think that there's any way that 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 actually happened. It's a fun it's a fun idea. It is a fun idea, and the the thing that I did not realize about that I I had known that that was a conspiracy. I had known that that story was out there. I did not realize that story started that very summer. And I guess it makes mm-hmm. sense, but how close to the actual event of Michael Jordan retiring, um, seeing some of those news headlines from that same summer, that surprised me a lot. And that gave a little bit more credibility to the story um, than I had given it previously. Uh, because two episodes ago, or last week, um, I had completely dismissed that theory because it felt so genuine that he was exhausted. Um, I knew the story about his dad was coming up. It seemed like the gambling wasn't that big of a deal. That was one of the other things that came up last week. Um, I texted one of my friends who is a huge MJ guy and said, is it really is all that the MJ gambling problem is, is all that that is him betting some money playing golf with his friends and like throwing quarters in the locker room with his security guards. Like, is that the whole giant MJ gambling problem? Cause that doesn't feel like a big deal to me. Um, so I had kind of dismissed that theory until, until tonight that made me question it a little bit more, but I still, I still don't think it happened. If I had to, excuse me, if I had to bet my money one way or another, I would bet that it did not happen. Yeah. It's a fun idea. I love conspiracies, but I also do not think that happened. So I, it probably could have happened. He could have been suspended for gambling, but at the same time, the NBA is not going to spend their most profitable player for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the money behind it, the revenue of tickets for the Bulls, Jordan jerseys, the fans he brings to away games, the greatest player of all time getting suspended for two years. Now, if they were going to suspend him for gambling, it would have been like a two-week suspension. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, what Tanner said. Like, financially, it would be completely ridiculous to suspend MJ. Like, it'd be one thing if he was gambling on NBA games and point shaving. And even then, like, you probably would only suspend him for a year. Like, he's – like, when you look at, like, the ratings dip and, like, the amount of profit Michael Jordan himself was bringing into the NBA – like it, it didn't make any sense uh, for that to be true. So I just, I really can't get there. But I'm glad that there's people out there that are jumping on the conspiracy bandwagon because it at least gives me, it's like a not harmful conspiracy, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Like some conspira- conspiracies these days, people could literally die if, if you believe them. But this is one that's like, eh, like if you want to believe, like if you want to believe a conspiracy theory, believe that one. It's pretty harmless. Yeah. Um. So, MJ goes into baseball, and I was watching this with uh, Drew tonight, and he was like, uh, saying like, can you believe like nobody, like told him like anyone that was close to him with any authority in his life said no seriously you should not go play baseball <laughs> and what i'm thinking is like honestly they probably thought he would have succeeded in baseball he's the greatest athlete of all time and based on what, what i saw tonight it seemed like he was reinsdorf was saying he was on his way to be a successful yeah. baseball career so you're you're both noted baseball fans more so than me I'm I'm not a baseball believer, but you are both noted Astros fans as well. I'll um, say that Tanner is a noted baseball fan, and I am a casual fan. And, of but but you are both Astros fans, and so Tanner, as our baseball person here, what do you think? Was MJ a good baseball player? Did he have a future? What I know you no. have takes. No, no, no. He did not have a baseball future. Uh, hitting two two oh two in double A. The, Grant, his manager at the time was a future World Series manager. That was he, wild. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, Terry Francone winning the World Series with the Indians. But, no, he did not have a baseball future. Uh, your fun fact. He hadn't he did, played baseball in 10 years, Tanner. He, yeah, you're right. He, Which is another reason why someone should have told him not to. The fact that you were going to the last time you played competitive baseball, you were 17 years old, and you're going to come back at 31 to play baseball. He actually got uh, a contract offer from the A, the Oakland Athletics at the time, uh, to come and play for their major league team. Really? They they offered him a major league contract just to boost attendance, but he was. And that this is another reason why I think that it's not an NBA suspension. He was so committed to trying to make it work. He goes, I don't think that's going to help my baseball career because if I go up there and just struggle, I want to actually develop in the minor leagues. Huh. So that's, that's another reason why I don't think he was actually suspended because if he was suspended and knew it would only be a year, he would have gone and played for the athletics to be in the majors for fun and just be on the top stage. He did lead the double A in stolen bases while he was down there. Was that a Michael Jordan was just a better athlete than everyone in double-A thing, or is there more to it than that? Uh, no, whenever he got on base, he stole. Uh, <laughs> he also led the league in um, failed stolen base attempts. Just So he would literally try it every time because they thought he was faster than anything yes. they could throw. Correct. Mamba mentality. Mamba <laughs> mentality. Here's the thing. I think he was actually going to make it. And I, I did not think that until I had watched this documentary night. Okay, so you've got a you've got a thirty year old guy, and he comes in and he starts off with a thirteen game hitting streak, which apparently was all fastballs. But he's getting better and better and better. Ends up hitting two oh two. Jerry Reinsdorf said he was on his way to being a major league baseball player. So clearly was not going to be the Michael Jordan of baseball but was on his way to at least getting called up to AAA, at least like pushing towards – he was mm-hmm. at least going to get invited to spring ball 
with the majors in the next year. So my question is, if that lockout doesn't happen, does he ever come back to basketball? Yeah, I was wondering that same thing. And I was hoping that you guys caught on to that better than I did or more closely than I did. Because the way they pitched it tonight, it seemed like if that lockout never happened, yeah, exactly what you said. Is he still playing baseball? Because the way they presented it, it seemed like the lockout was the overriding thing that sent him back to basketball. Is that what you picked up on, Tanner, or am I missing something? Yes. I mean, the fact that he was supposed to be at baseball practice at that time, he just had nothing to do. So he was going to breakfast with uh, B.J. Anderson. Armstrong. uh, B.J. Armstrong, sorry. Uh, and that was the whole reason that he ended up going back to practice was they were convincing him, hey, come and just play some pickup games with us. That w- in my period, that week there where he practiced three or four times with the team in a week, that would have been the most fun to follow like, in modern media, the social media stage of, can you just imagine every single time you go to practice, Michael get an ESPN notification, a Twitter notification, Michael Jordan practicing with the Bulls again. NBA Twitter would be going crazy. Yeah, so, I thought that was really interesting. Like, it didn't even seem like it was spurred on by him being like, yeah, I'm I'm jumping back into basketball. It was more like, hey, man, like, why don't you come by and say hey to all the guys? Yeah. Like, they would love to see you. And then they, like, heckled him into playing one-on-one with B.J. Armstrong. And then it's like his competitive nature took over. It wasn't even like – yeah, let me think about it. I'm totally ready to play basketball again. Yeah, and it didn't seem like it was a conscious choice of him going, I'm I'm not great at baseball. Like He was obviously very good. I don't want to take away from that. He's good enough to be a professional baseball player. But it, it didn't seem like it was a logical choice of, I'm never going to be the greatest player in baseball. I'm, I'm Unless I put a ton of work into this, I, I might not be even a major leaguer. Let me go back to the thing that I know I'm good at. Um, it, it really did seem like it was just coincidence that there happened to be this lockout and he happened to go back to practice and realize, Oh, I, I like this or I'm good at this or, or I need to let go of the, the monkey on my back of my dad, not going to, my dad isn't going to be there for my first game back or whatever it is. That was really interesting. I, I was wondering the exact same thing. Yeah. And I, here's my thing is him jumping back into basketball. I, The way that it was talked about tonight was like they didn't win because he wasn't in good, he wasn't in basketball shape. He was in baseball shape. And I feel like I'm going to be like Zag guy. But Phil Jackson on the documentary said they were at full strength. They were fully loaded once MJ came back. And they lost in the second round of the playoffs. Is this a knock on MJ's legacy at all? Or are we just blowing past it? They ran into the diesel. That they was, ran into my guy. That Magic team was such a fun team. <laughs> and it was also weird because they didn't have Horace Grant and they didn't have Rodman yet, you know, and they didn't have Bill Cartwright anymore. There was, it, was, it was really not a great basketball team Yeah, that was around him, which as much as people want to act like it was the Michael Jordan show, like he had good teammates in every season that they won the championship. He wasn't out there with, let's say, Matthew Dellavedova, Timothy Mozgov, uh, J.R. Smith, and whoever. I can't even remember the other guy in the starting five with LeBron in the 2015 
finals. But, like, he wasn't playing with guys like that. Like, he was playing with good players. And so, I don't know. Like, I so I just, they, go, go ahead, Tanner. Uh, I'll just say, going back to, like, when he first retired, I thought it was interesting. The year after he retired, the, the Bulls were still a playoff team, made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals. They had three all-stars on a team without Michael Jordan. So it's not like he left and the team just completely fell apart. Yeah, and, and they they lost in game seven of that series too. So, I mean, now we're talking like that's one game. Like they could have ended up in the finals. Like if you lose in game seven in the conference semifinals, there's always that thing like – the Sixers last year losing game seven to the Raptors and, and all of their fans are thinking, wow, like if we had won, if we had just won that game that Kawhi hit that shot in, like we would be in the NBA finals. We could have won the NBA finals. And it's literally, it's that close sometimes when we're talking about game sevens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the question of is it a knock on his legacy? The the Bulls that year were forty seven and thirty five, and I Michael Jordan came back and he played seventeen games that year, and so I I don't know how I don't know how much of the 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 record you can put on MJ. Like I don't know that you can say that it's his fault that they only won forty five games or forty seven games because I think that's clearly not the case. But it was really interesting watching some of that footage of them them losing and them losing in the semis. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, yeah, Michael Jordan is re-realizing what it's like to lose and what it's like to not win the last game of the year. Um, I don't think it's a knock on his legacy, but I also don't think it's fair to say that it, he lost because of baseball and he wasn't in shape. I, everyone loses. LeBron has an incredible final streak that I don't know that that'll ever be touched anytime soon. Uh, but he lost a lot. He only has a couple of championships. But I don't think that takes away from the incredible streak that LeBron has had. And in the same way, I don't think that just because MJ won six championships but lost this one year in the Eastern Conference semifinals, I don't think that should take away from it. What did you say that they're – uh, regular season record was that year their regular season record in 94 95 was 47 and 35 and I, I think they were 34 and 31 when mj came back based on the documentary either that 34 is, wow. and 31 or 35 and 31 so it's not like he was like not an elite player the second right. that he came back like he he scored 19 points his first game back he averaged 32 against uh against the magic in that series that they lost. So it's I not it's, like he wasn't playing well. I think it should be held against him in the fact that, that I don't think it's fair to give him the cop out of he had just come from playing baseball and that he was rusty. Um, I, I don't think it's fair just to give him a free pass, but I don't think it's fair to say, oh, he lost in the Eastern Conference semis. He's not the greatest player ever. Or, oh, he's, he lost. He, this takes away from his all-time legacy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I like here's my thing is that I think Michael Jordan is the best basketball player that has ever existed. And I don't think that it's particularly close. At the same time, I do think that this this documentary is kind of a wing of of it's a it's a propaganda machine in some yeah, senses. It feels that way for sure. Like, oh wow, he was a jerk to his teammates, but everyone just spins that as he was the most competitive guy in the world. 
Like, there's no, like, actually, he was kind of a crappy teammate. Yeah. Like, in the Jordan Rules book that they talked about in last week's episode, like, he he told the guys on his team not to pass the ball to Bill Cartwright. Mm-hmm. And he said if they pass the ball to Bill Cartwright, he's not going to pass him the ball anymore. And, of course, Bill Cartwright cornered him and threatened to end his career if he ever did anything like that again. So he didn't do it again. But... Yeah, it's stuff like that. Like, I just think, I, and once again, I, I don't, for the aggregators out there, I, I'm just saying, like, I think MJ's the best of all time. Don't don't get in my mentions. But at the same time, like, can we all just admit that this is a very nostalgic um, and propaganda-ish documentary that we're watching? I can see that, but also at the same time, I think it was in our first podcast we were talking about like where we ranked our greatest of all time, and we all had MJ one, LeBron two, and different variants of that gap. Uh, my take on it was I was expecting LeBron to pass him in the next couple of years, and I was honestly expecting this documentary to widen that gap. What me growing up watching LeBron and not growing up watching MJ, I was expecting to learn so much about him, and be like okay, this gap is now growing. LeBron has to do more. For me, I think it's actually shrinking that gap a little bit. I'm ex- I'm Wow, se- hot takes. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing more of those flaws in there that don't get talked about as much. Like the amount of times Jordan was eliminated before he even got to the finals. Like the, the hit on LeBron is, oh yeah, Jordan never lost in the finals once he got there. But if you go take into account... Jordan has been eliminated before he ever got to the finals more than LeBron has lost before the finals at that point. And the team Jordan had, they've really hyped up the team Jordan was doing all of this with compared to the teams LeBron was doing it with. I'm not trying to start a Jordan versus LeBron debate right now, but at the same time, I think they've done at least a good job of showing, not trying to make Jordan a hero in everything. They have talked about he couldn't do anything before Pippen and how much he struggled against teams early on like the Pistons. So it's been less of a Michael Jordan on the court basketball player thing and more so some of the stuff that goes with his legacy that that has made you shrink that gap or that has, that has brought that to be a closer argument in your mind? I think so because, I mean, some of the things that – um like the arguments for LeBron is he never had the, he doesn't have the killer instinct Jordan had, or uh, he wouldn't do whenever LeBron does anything is, Oh my gosh, Jordan would never have done that. But then like seeing things of Jordan going out and playing golf with a Danny Ainge when he was, Danny Ainge was playing for the Celtics. We talked about that on the podcast two weeks ago, just things along those lines. I think the legacy is bringing, we've, made Jordan a hero, a god almost, of not finding anything wrong outside of just like his gambling habits. But we're seeing kind of the character flaws he had on the court and maybe other ways where LeBron is has been better at that sense of being a better teammate. There was a, there was a quote from one of MJ's teammates. I did not write down who it was, but I wrote down the quote. Um, it was when – it was right after he had been just giving it to a couple of his teammates and – they interviewed one of one of one of his old teammates now, and they said, basically, do you think Michael Jordan was a good leader? 
And they said, no, in the moment, he was a jerk. In the moment, we hated him. He said some nasty things and crossed the line. But now that some time's passed, the quote was, he's a hell of a teammate. And yeah, that was Will Perdue, uh, okay. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt alum. Oh, shout out your guy. I loved that. And, and I don't know that that's the best model of leadership when in the moment your people or your teammates or whatever are calling you jerks and, and someone who crosses the line all the time. But it was interesting that even the teammates who experienced that and were on the receiving end of that now that so many years have passed are going, no, actually he was the one that pushed us to be what we are. I don't know that, I don't know what that did for his, for Jordan's legacy in my mind. Uh, but I think if anything, it helped it a little bit uh, because he did have the teammates who he was being jerks to, and he was crossing the line with who are now saying, no, he's the reason that we got to where we were. And that, that matters for me. I think I would want to play with LeBron more than I would with MJ, but that was a really, really interesting scene to me that those are the moments that I've loved that this documentary hasn't been afraid to, to address the big things, to address the gambling or, or his dad's death or Jordan being a jerk to his teammates. Um, those have been really, really cool. It's hard for me to take too much from that at the same point of he won six championships. So looking back, it's like, Oh yeah, that guy was a jerk. He yelled at me, but we won six titles. Okay, I can forgive that side of it. Yeah, and I, I know nothing about his about Will Purdue's career. I don't. I, I have no idea if he was a good basketball player, other than he was on this documentary. But I wonder at the same time, kind of to your point, Tanner, of if he's looking around the mansion he's sitting in and going, "This wouldn't be here if it weren't for those <laughs> championships," or "This wouldn't be here if it weren't for those Bulls teams that I'm on." So yeah, I I do wonder if it's a bit of revisionist history, but it it was really cool to watch. What did y'all think about him uh, breaking down there at the end of episode uh, episode seven, talking about his like he was talking about how competitive he was, and about how because I think the they asked him, do you think you're do you think people think you're a nice guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he started talking about how he he was like if you don't if you don't want to play like that then don't but if you're playing with me like that's how you have to play. Yeah. And just broke down, and I was like, I didn't know what to expect coming into this documentary series, but to see Michael Jordan, like, about to cry on camera and be like, break, like, we're taking a break now. Like, I did not expect to see that. Yeah, I, it was amazing to watch, and it's incredible that they have those interviews and that he was willing to sit there and do that. Um, I... I, I think I said last time we did this that I did not know a whole lot of M- about MJ before this other than he's a terrible owner and he's set, been a jerk in some really public forums. But I, I've really appreciated in that moment specifically, but also in this whole documentary, how human he has come across um, and how in this most recent one when they were talking about Gary the Glove Payton and they, show, they hand him the iPad and he starts <laughs> laughing at Gary the Glove Payton's comments. Um, it's been awesome. I've, I've really, really enjoyed the human part of Michael Jordan and the end of episode seven um, kind of got me and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure out if, if Jordan was getting choked up because he was realizing that it was all worth it or that he wishes he could go back and do it again. What was, what was your take on that or, or one of your takes on um, what, what was it that was getting him caught up in his emotions as he was retelling that? To me, it seemed kind of like, a just a realist. I felt like it was kind of 
like I just don't think he goes there into his feelings very much, and that's mm-hmm. why it caught him so off guard. I think he was like he probably, if you asked him why he was crying or was about was breaking down in that moment, I don't know that he would have been able to tell you. Yeah. Like I, I assume that it was something to the effect of a some. I don't know if it, if I would say use the word regret, but maybe just a. Um, a realization of, oh man, like, cause I think he's probably grown as a person. Like I think we all grow as people no matter how old we are. And so if he's grown from age, you know, 36 in 98 to 50, whatever he is now, like, and he's starting to understand like, man, like I probably did really bother some people with the way that I acted like, but also, like, do you regret it? Like, you won six championships. Like, I don't know if I would say it would go as far as regret, but just like, uh, oh, my God. Like, I don't know that he would even be able to identify those feelings. And, like, mm-hmm. if I was in his position, I don't know that I would be either. I also just kind of wonder, like, someone of his mindset, he doesn't sit there. And that's not going to be something he thinks about. He, goes, he doesn't sit around thinking, man, I wonder, like, how I treat people, how that's going to come back and affect me. Yeah. He, he's doing what he can in the moment to win. If in that moment, it was just kind of like that realization of, oh, okay, this is what I've actually done to other people. And these people have stuck by me through all this. Yeah. Uh, and like they showed him at, uh, they showed him a lot in the, in 98 practicing with uh, Scott Burrell and yeah. the way that, the way that he is dogging him, is um pretty and I, I i said to drew i was like this is how i would talk if like all the guys in our social club in college were hanging out playing basketball except like it would be a joke and i wouldn't be good enough to back it up even if it was serious that's why you're and on I the feel, side b team <laughs> i feel like i feel like that was a um really telling thing because like i feel like in scott burrell he was saying like this really talented guy who didn't have the same mentality as him. I love the moment when MJ was doing the interview in his house or whatever, where they were asking him about that. And he smiles and goes, man, Burrell was just the nicest guy. <laughs> like no matter what I said to him, I could not get him. He was just so nice. Uh, that was a cool moment. Cause it, it was such a contrast of MJ who is presented as not, not that. Um, but then this other guy, his teammate, who was and how he just could not get under his skin. I loved that scene. And it kind of takes it into later on we, uh, the interview with Steve Kerr of Kerr was guarding him and things were getting frisky and Kerr got frustrated, shoved MJ, and MJ just punched him in the face. And, you know, you had Steve Kerr, who was nowhere near one of the more important people on that Bulls team clocking it or shoving NJ, NJ punches him back. But Kerr earned his respect through that process because it was someone that finally stood up to him. The revisionist history on Steve Kerr has been strong the last few weeks because I always would hear like, I know Steve Kerr is the Warriors coach and the TNT guy, but you always hear about him as, no, he was on those Bulls teams. He was on those Bulls teams. (laughs) But now that I'm actually watching the footage in so many of the big moments, he's He's sitting four seats over from Phil Jackson on the bench with a minute left in a game. Like they don't have him out there in those big moments. And I've listened to, I think it was the 
flying coach podcast that he started with Pete Carroll, where he basically said his whole job was to stand there and if he had an open shot, shoot it. Otherwise, just pass it. He said, I, I like, he was basically saying, I didn't have much of a role other than if I happen to have a wide open shot, pull the trigger. And, but the way that I hear people talk about Steve Kerr is like he was the starting point guard on these three amazing title teams and they could not have done it without him, which does not seem to be the case at all. So I love that Jordan punched him in the face. (laughs) To be fair, we haven't seen two of those three championship seasons yet in the documentary. And I will say, I feel like he's getting a lot of airtime in the doc as a play, like the player version of him is getting a lot of airtime because of his notoriety now. Like, I think being like, oh, that's Steve Kerr. Like, I feel like he's in more highlights than even he would be as a regular guy. He's also so articulate, and he talks really, really well. And so he he films well for a documentary like this, and he's a good storyteller. I love love when he pops up, um, but him as a basketball player seems to be overplayed a little bit to me. Uh, he, He never averaged more than 8.6 points per game in his career. That's tough. And that was in the 93-94 season. He's such the perfect, like, if he played now guy. I don't don't know that he would average 25 points a game or something like that, but he'd at least be a threat. He would be someone that you would have to guard. Kyle Korver. Yeah, I love that he's in the NBA still. And and that's the type of point guard though that Michael Jordan liked to play with. Right. That's the reason B.J. Armstrong came off the bench uh, in the first uh, three championships when they started John Paxson. B.J. Armstrong was a better player than John Paxson, but he also wanted to score. Mm-hmm. And so he came off the bench, and they let John Paxson play with M.J. because Jordan could put up with him because he would pass him the ball and every time. The year Jordan retired, B.J. Armstrong was the third all-star member from the Bulls. It was Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and B.J. Armstrong made the all-star team. You said that earlier, and I was wondering who it was. Yeah, so that's a good transition into uh, the Charlotte series that they got into with 98 a little bit. I really – and they they, this is what happens every episode in this show is that someone will say something or do something, and it's always like – Man, I knew he shouldn't have done that. And it's like, okay, it's like, oh, he didn't talk to you? Oh, he shouldn't have done that. Oh, he did talk to you? Oh, he shouldn't have done that. It's like, bro, what do you want? Like, we all know that, like, you're just going to want to destroy whoever you want, regardless of what happens. Like, don't blame, like, BJ Armstrong, like, getting in your grill after hitting a game winner. Like, don't blame George Carl for not talking to you at dinner. Like, what? Like, what do you do? You, I feel like the only thing MJ will accept from people is like, "Hello, Mr. Jordan. I know that you are going to beat me tomorrow, <laughs> but I just wanted to say hi." Well, that's what they got into. Was he could find he could find the motivation in anything? Uh, what was that Washington Bullets clips they showed? Where um, I can't even remember the guy's name. La Bradford Smith. LeBradford Smith destroyed him game one and Jordan mentally made up saying that he mocked him after the game. Nice and game, Mike. 
And then later admitted, oh yeah, that didn't really happen. I just said that so that way I would make myself more mad. So I wanted to beat him in the next game, the next day or the day after. It was He was great at finding ways to mentally motivate himself. And he was going to get motivated no matter what the other team did. He just blamed the other team for his motivation. Yeah. I just like don't like that's just my favorite thing. And that's just goes back to like. I understand he's the best player that ever happened, but we don't have to lionize him the way that that we are. Like, oh man, he shouldn't have said. I knew he shouldn't have said that. It's like, bro, just just give it a rest, man. I know that you know Michael Jordan, but like, give it a rest. Like, MJ was gonna destroy them no matter what they said. The interview with Horace Grant when Horace Grant was with the Magic, I think it was that second year that. Jordan was back. Maybe maybe it was the first year that he was back from baseball um, when one of Horace Grant's teammates dropped a ton of points on Jordan and said, yeah, 45 isn't 23 or whatever he said. Horace Grant's face in that interview was perfect, though, because what you guys are saying, he Horace Grant was like, oh, why did you have to say anything? Like, don't like, yes, we beat him. Yes, you dropped a lot of points on him, but don't go talk about it because now he's going to come back and smoke us. And it was cool seeing one of MJ's old teammates know, like, even he's going to take the smallest thing and turn it into the fuel that he needs to go whoop you afterwards and go smoke your team. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that he completely made a comment up like that. Uh, but it was cool to watch watch Horace Grant go back and say, eh, yeah, please don't go smack talk him even if you do whoop him. Yeah, um, like at Dream Team practice when Magic was like, <laughs> If you don't turn into Air Jordan, like, we're going to whoop y'all. <laughs> and then going back to Charles Barkley on the bus and saying, I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. So another awesome another awesome scene was that they built Michael Jordan that bubble at the Space Jam facility. That was awesome, man. Like, all those dudes were there playing basketball together. I feel like that happens now, and we're more aware of it. But the fact that it was like, there was no social media. Like no one really knew unless you were like In Ahmad Rashad, you yeah. know, like that this was going on, that there was like, you know, 10 to 15 of the best NBA players playing pickup in a bubble in LA. Like that's, that's awesome. Like the shirts and skins pickup game going on in there. It was crazy. Was this the first NBA uh, summer where all the stars go to LA and all play pickup basketball together? I, I don't I don't know if we have an answer to that, but it kind of felt like this was the origin of that. And I wanted to know if there were any like future teammates that had played with each other there that then decided they were going to go create their own team or whatever. Kind of like how what happens now with guys going and playing on Team USA or playing together in in the summer in Los Angeles and then wanting to move there and, and team up. That was really cool, and it was cool that they had footage of that. I had never seen any of that footage. I had always heard that they built him an arena, but when it popped up, I kind of went, oh, wow, that that is a legit basketball arena. It's not like they just pulled out a Spalding hoop like we all had in our driveway at one point growing up. They built him an NBA regulation arena and brought all these guys out there. It was really cool to see. They didn't hint at it all, but I think Jordan playing with Rodman there, that was actually before Rodman's on the Bulls. That's that summer is when the Bulls go and get Rodman. True. That makes sense. The timing makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the Michael Jordan invitational, <laughs> you know, like I imagine like that happened, like 
I, that happens in like, you know, like golf or something. And like, <laughs> you know, like Tiger's like, Hey, I'm doing this tournament, but like he wouldn't do it if it wasn't for the money. He's not just trying to go play with Brooks Kepka. you know, like there's gotta be money on the line. Right. I want to know what sort of wagers were going on at Space Jam pickup. <laughs> Have you guys like, watched I, I Space know Jam that. recently? Yes. Not what, recently. I, I watched it about three years ago. Um, Tanner, what did you think? Does it hold up as well as you remember it, or is it yeah. a little bit of a letdown? Uh, I, I loved it. I watched it within the last calendar year, uh, and I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I'm – when I watched it a couple of years ago, I, I thought the opposite. I thought the basketball does not hold up that well. MJ as an actor does not hold up that well. But some of the, the storylines, like I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the plot lines from that is MJ's shorts, his North Carolina shorts, and he really needs his North Carolina shorts. And it was cool to see in his uh, Birmingham Barons uh, minor league baseball <laughs> locker room, he had the North Carolina shorts draped over the, the uh, locker room door or whatever. Um, some of that stuff has held up really, really well for me that I've enjoyed watching. Uh, but I'm interested to see when LeBron does Space Jam 2 here this summer or next summer, um, if they try to just redo the exact same movie or if they are going to run back a completely different story. I'm, hoping I'm super different story. excited for Space Jam 2. I hope I want to know like if they're going to pull in other NBA players and which ones they're going to pull in. Like I've seen like fake stories <laughs> online about lists of guys that are – in for it but like i don't know if that's confirmed or not I i'm really think excited it for it well while chase is pulling up that list i love some of the parts from space gen they actually took like real life things like them searching for the north carolina shorts because there is lucky shorts all that's true he played he wore his north carolina shorts underneath his chicago bulls shorts in every game uh there's one scene where uh the guy stan is driving him to the next game he goes uh, grab your Jordans, eat your Wheaties, we'll get you a Big Mac on the way, and list all the sponsors Jordan had at the time. And things like that I was able to appreciate a lot more when I rewatched it than I was when I was a little kid watching it. You want the list of names? This is, yeah. uh, this is from Shams, so you can, you can count it as official. Um, these are the confirmed players. There is Damian Lillard, um, then the best player in the NBA and maybe a top three player of all time, Anthony Davis. Uh, Clay Thompson, and then Diana Taurasi, and I'm going to get this name wrong. I'm sorry in advance. Nika Ogwamuke of the Los Angeles Sparks are are kind of the key players who are going to be in it. I'm glad that they went super PC and got some women involved. They did. They got they have two WNBA stars, and then there is a third WNBA player who is expected to be in the movie, but they don't know the the extent of the role, it looks like. So three and three. Not including cool. LeBron. That's cool. You know who didn't get invited to Space Jam 1? Who? Isaiah Thomas. Mm. Ooh. But he met the qualifications. Yeah, like what is he talking about? <laughs> I met the qualifications to play on that team, but <laughs> that I don't know. That clip is amazing, I'll- and I'm so glad that we have it for all of our memeing purposes from here on out. <laughs> I met the qualifications to be selected. Chase, did you watch the video I sent you on Twitter? I did. The the guy like recapping. It was all the impressions. I'll send it to you too, Tanner, if you haven't seen it. It was this guy like acting like he was recapping uh, like last week's episodes. And he did like an Isaiah impression (laughs) and everything. It was funny. 
I'm gonna give him sixty. <laughs> um, yeah. So here's another thing that I want to talk about, and just going along with the theme of this podcast, which has been the theme of this whole series, which is trying to put Jordan as clearly the best player of all time. Tonight, they I feel like they tried to clearly put the 96 Bulls as the best team of all time. And what do you guys have to say about that? Total crap. I said it in the moment. The, the Golden State Warriors are the greatest NBA team of all time. Check my Twitter receipts. I, I think... Wait, which Warriors team? It doesn't matter KD to me. KD year one? Is that what you're saying? I, I honestly don't think it matters. I think that either of the iterations of the Warriors team are better than the Bulls team because you have the you have the unanimous MVP led Golden State Warriors who go on to win their second straight championship I believe I'm getting that correct before they have KD and statistically they're the most dominant team of all time by everything but record all of their offensive ratings are through the roof. And granted, they play in a faster pace. They play in a different NBA than the Bulls played in. But then go from that, and they literally just upgraded Harrison Barnes into Kevin Durant and then went 73-9. and nine. So I, I get that they're two different teams in a lot of people's mind, but I don't really care which one you pick. And, and I think that them losing the championship, it matters, um, and it is something that needs to be talked about. But kind of like what we were saying earlier, it was a game seven that they lost that could have gone either way. And LeBron made one of the greatest plays in NBA history to keep them from winning. Um, And so I have the Golden State Warriors pretty clearly at number one. I've said that for a long time. It was really fun to watch the Warriors try try to perfect basketball. There was so much hate when they signed DeMarcus Cousins or when they signed Kevin Durant or whatever it was. And I get it. But also as someone who likes basketball and someone who enjoys the sport of basketball, it was incredible for the the couple of years that we got it to watch a a small group of players and one team try to perfect the game of basketball and try to play it better than anyone else. I know people hated seeing the Warriors and the Cavs in four straight finals or whatever it was, but I loved it. I thought it was amazing watching one of the greatest players of all time go up against pretty clearly what I thought, even in the moment, was the best team of all time. Um, so that's what I think. I don't think it's particularly close. Am I on an island all by myself over here, or do you guys uh, were you picking up the same things that I were? Was I would I like th- to clarify really quick, and then Tanner, you can go. That Please clarify. The first year of Kevin Durant, they went sixty-seven and fifteen. After they went seventy-three and nine the previous season before Durant. Thank you. Okay, so they yeah. got so the team that they went seventy-three with, they didn't even have Durant. Right, and that's why it was such a shame that KD went there. But then the next – oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they lost to the Cavs in the finals, but then the next year they went what? 67 and 15. But won the title, right? Right. Gotcha. All Thank right, you Tanner, for the go clarification. ahead. Um, probably I would say the Kevin Durant team is probably the greatest team of all time, not having the greatest record. But the Bulls team – I think what hurts them is how weak of a playoff like gauntlet they had to face. Um, you had the Warriors who had to play one of the top greatest players of all time in LeBron. You had some a good Rockets team. Uh, who else did they beat that year? 
Which year are you talking about? Uh, the year they won it. In the first time, or or with KD? Yeah, twenty seventeen. Uh, Kawhi got her in game one of the conference finals against the Spurs, I think, oh. or conference semifinals. I'm looking it up because that was the Zaza game. It was also the day that Devin got married. Uh, priorities. Look, <laughs> that was May seventeenth, twenty seventeen. Happy anniversary, Devin and Caroline. Happy uh, Zaza day. Yeah, I I do think it is the KD Warriors with no question. With a lot, all the points Chase said, those that was the closest to probably perfect basketball we might ever see. Yeah, and I I thought that I was, you know, and like I have generally accepted the '96 Bulls as the best team of all time, um, and I, I I would have just because I was told that, but like I was listening to uh, uh, on Bill Simmons' podcast. I just I feel like that's the podcast I reference the most. That's just required reading if you want to uh, engage in depth with some of the ideas we're talking about, but. Um, he would say that the 2017 Warriors were the best team of all time, and he would say that the 96 Bulls weren't even the best Bulls team of the six championships um, because of expansion and the league was watered down, and that's why they were able to win um, win so many games. I think that there there's a quote from Larry Bird during the 96 season about how the Bulls uh, were a really good team, but also they weren't the best of all time. Like They were playing against a really watered down NBA due to expansion. And so um, just like a historical context to put that in, when I think what the 2017 Warriors did, we're talking a league that's just loaded with international players, um, great talent all across the board. Um, and we're talking about they had probably two of the best three players in the NBA that season with Curry and KD. And we're talking Clay top 10 player in the NBA and Draymond still peak Draymond. Mm-hmm. So we're talking top 25 players in the NBA. And I mean, and then Iguodala who's going to be an NBA hall of famer. So I, I just like, don't, I do, what I like, I, I really think that's pretty tough to beat. Like if you're, if we're just lining everybody up, obviously if you transport the 96 bulls into today, the 2017 warriors would beat them by 30. But what, but also even if we're just talking about comparatively to the era that they were in, I think it's you can make a really sound argument for the 2017 Warriors. For sure. Yeah, I think one of the analysts that they've had on even said that his he personally thought that the 93 Bulls were the greatest Bulls team of that era. Um, uh, that was, that was uh, noted ESPN columnist and TV host Michael Wilbon. Put some respect on it, Tanner. I, I thought it was him. I just wanted to – I wasn't – confident in my source so i was just gonna re- remain vague that's respectful journalism yeah so i looked it up the the warriors that year in the 2016 2017 first year with kd uh in the playoffs they beat the trailblazers the jazz the spurs and i do think you're right i think that's the series that that Kawhi got hurt and then in the finals they beat the Cavs. of so that they won 16 games to get there um, I just gave away the question I was going to ask. The, their record in the playoffs that year was 16, 16 and 1. 16 and 1, yeah. Which is insane. And 
I, I don't like the argument that if you were to take the Bulls, whichever team you're, you're picking and bringing them to today, of course the Warriors are going to beat them. But the argument that I don't like is when people say if you were to take the Warriors from 2016, 2017, or whichever year you're picking and take them back to the 90s Bulls, there's no way they would win because the league is different. They have different rules. I don't agree with that. I think that if you took these Warriors back into the 90s NBA, no one would be able to guard them. No one would know how to guard them. No one would understand that when they pull up for a three-pointer on the fast break, that shot is worth more than going in and taking a contested layup or pulling up from mid-range. I think I think at least for the first two or three games, any team that you played in the 90s would be like, yeah, shoot that, whatever. You can have that. But if you're going to shoot an elbow jumper, we're going to get up in your grill. And so I, I don't think it matters if you take the Bulls to today or the Warriors to the 90s. I still think the Warriors are the better team because they play better basketball. They play more efficient basketball. And in the same way that that people have talked a lot about how, um, especially the season that MJ wasn't with uh, the Bulls that first season, how beautiful their offense was and how they ran the triangle to perfection. Steve Kerr literally took principles of the triangle and principles of Greg Popovich's offense and created the Warriors offense. He spent years designing it based off of what he learned from Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. And I think that offense translates to any NBA era, no matter what. It's just a question of if you could get your players to buy into it. And he, he was fortunate enough to have guys who can shoot the three-pointer like crazy. Um, and so I don't think it matters if you take the 2016-2017 the Warriors back to the 90s or the 90s Bulls to today. I still think the Warriors win no matter what. Yeah, I mean, like, let's just take it matchup by matchup all the way down. So we've got Steph Curry versus Ron Harper, advantage Easy. Curry. I don't care what Greatest era point guard of all time in. versus Ron Harper. Wow, that's a that's a statement, but we'll come we'll circle back. Clay I'll Thompson start pulling versus up my stats. Clay Thompson versus Michael Jordan. Obviously, Michael Jordan is the best player of all time, so we'll give him that. Um, Clay Thompson I, is a good defender. He's not guarding Michael Jordan, but he is a good defender. He'd be an interesting person to stick on MJ for thirty six minutes or whatever. And I'm not I'm not even counting Iguodala in this, but Iguodala could would do a better job of guarding MJ than most people, even yeah. even in his era. Um, and then we'll go Kevin Durant versus Scottie Pippen. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. We got Draymond versus match yeah. to watch. Draymond versus Rodman for rebounds. Probably no, Rodman, but Draymond. But I don't know. Like, and Rodman's probably actually going to be able to defend that uh, high pick and roll better than most. Um, but when they go small ball, I really think the Bulls are going to struggle with that. Yeah. Bill Wennington's going to have to come off the court. Rodman's going to play center. And they're going to have to put in Steve Kerr. And now we're talking Kerr's not going to guard Curry. Who's Kerr going to guard? So we got a whole, we <laughs> got a whole thing going here. Yeah. So I just – I think even if you take it matchup by matchup, you can make an argument for the Warriors. That would be really fun to watch the 96 Bulls be forced to do small ball because I think that would be a really good team too. Yeah. I, I actually really agree with that. Um, but that's like – it's just – it's fun to talk about. We can never know ac- in actuality – the answers that we're talking about. Um, one more thing that I want to touch on from the episode tonight um, was Gary Payton in the NBA Finals. Um, actually did a really good job of guarding Michael Jordan. But or so he said. 
He did in two <laughs> games. That was so, that did frustrate me. Was that okay? Help me out here. I'm gonna get it wrong. the The Bulls went up three zero, right? And yes. then they switched Gary Payton onto MJ, and they won that game, right? Yes. Okay, so that's game four. They they cut straight to game six. Did you guys notice that? They didn't no, say a they, word about they, game five. They very briefly showed it, uh, the Sonics score win, but, yeah, they didn't show it much. They li- kind of lumped those in together as, like, Gary Payton basically didn't handle MJ but slowed him down and did a good job, and they won two games. I thought that was really interesting that – yeah, they. I, so I, I missed they even put a score up there. I thought they completely skipped it and skipped straight to the Bulls winning and then MJ laughing off that Gary the Glove Payton even guarded him or like even did any any damage to him. Uh, but if if Gary the Glove Payton is the reason that they won two of those games, that matters against Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals. Like how many people can say that that was the reason that they won two NBA Finals games? So I thought they completely blew that off, and then MJ's reaction to it was a little overstated was how I took it. It was like classic cocky guy reaction. Yeah, what did you think, sure. Tanner? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I Just completely blowing him off. I'm currently looking up the box scores from those three games because Gary Payton said like he didn't get to guard him for games one through three. It wasn't until they were down 3-0 that he told the coach, forget you, I'm going to guard Jordan. Um, let's see. So game six, the game that Bulls won, but Gary Payton still guarded him. Jordan had 22 points. Game five that the Seahawks – or the Supersonics, not Seahawks. Uh, Jordan had 26. And was it game four? Game four is the one where he really shut him down, which is probably why they focused more on that one in the uh, episode tonight. Uh, he's still at 23, so he still had t- over 20 points a game all three games, of, all three of those games. I just think it's it's funny the way that they framed it, like they like everyone watching it already knows the Sonics are gonna lose, but then they were like, but also like Gary Payton did really good for two games, yeah. and <laughs> it was kind of a series. Who, when when I say Gary Payton, what do you guys think of? What is your first memory of him or impression of him that comes to mind? He had a pretty cool cameo in Like Mike. That's exactly what I think of. That is the only thing that I can get to is like when he's laying on Calvin Cambridge in that game. Yes. <laughs> I'm, that's really funny that how we both thought of that. But... I also know that in NBA Jam, you know that arcade game and you play two-on-two? Yeah, yeah. Um, Him and Sean Kemp is an awesome duo in that game. Um, And I also remember him and Carl Malone hopping in with the Lakers in like 2004-ish. Yeah, it was one of those awkward years where the Lakers were loaded with a really, really good team, but they got hit with the injury bug, and they had guys who were ring-chasing like crazy, and it did not turn into anything. But he was a Laker for, I think, a year. I don't think it was any more than that. Such a Lakers excuse. They had quite a team. (laughs) Do you want me to talk about Steve Nash? (laughs) Like We're talking Shaq, Carl Malone, Kobe, 
Gary Payton, Robert Ori, Derek Fisher. The roster itself, like if you just turn that into take each one of those guys on the roster and take the year that they were in their prime, whenever it was, whichever team it was, that Lakers five, I think would be better than some of the league's all-time best fives that they could put together. It's pretty darn good, but yeah, they were old and retired and washed at that point. Yeah. Yeah, plus like it's just weird trying to incorporate once you've had a dynasty, it's really weird trying to incorporate like old dudes into it who are <laughs> past their prime. It's yeah. just kind of weird. It's a weird thing. Anything else you guys want to gab about? How um, cool the Hornets court was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely so, that. I've watched most of these episodes with Olivia, who is my wife, and Tonight she made the comment that I, I, um, I, I'm always interested what she picks up on in these and what she um, intuitively like knows and understands or what she has questions about. And when this started tonight, she said, "Oh, it like it it feels like I'm with my best friends. Like it feels like these are people that I've become really good friends with over the last couple of weeks. So it's been fun to experience it and and learn about these different guys. And even though I think." Uh, the overwhelming sentiment of Michael Jordan is he was kind of a jerk and he was kind of someone who didn't, you didn't want to be around. I've watched this and, and kind of thought the opposite. I don't know that I'd want to be his teammate, but he does seem like a fun person to be around. He would be a really interesting guy to get to know. Um, same with, with Pippen. Um, we didn't even talk about that whole story of him quitting on his team for the last play. Um, oh yeah. We didn't get there, but I want to know more about that. I want to sit down and talk to him about it. And and some of the interviews that they've had have felt so intimate. Um, and, and they've been sharing so much stuff that I never would have expected them to share. Going back to the, the Kobe stuff from last week um, to MJ crying at the end of episode seven tonight. It's been really cool. I, I've really enjoyed having this documentary back and I'm going to miss it when it's gone after next week. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the, the Scottie Pippen quitting game, uh, I don't know if you guys listened to Bill Simmons' pod a few weeks ago. He had Jackie McMullen on, and she was talking about um, that that when uh, Phil gave the last shot to Coach, mm-hmm. um, and he made it, and Pippen 